Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jean-Michel Beaulieu, part of the Montreal-based fixed income sales team, and Francois Leclerc, one of our provincial bond traders. This week's episode is titled, Central Banks Remain Central. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. I'd like to welcome you back to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, bud. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ben. You're very welcome. Uh, you last joined me in March when rates were on the rise. Uh, at we, the, the, the peak was, was pretty much there. Uh, we saw another peak in April, but uh, wasn't wasn't far from there. That upward momentum didn't last much longer, though. Uh, since then, we've we've rallied despite some persistently hot inflation prints through most of the world. Uh, JM, in that episode, you you had turned less bearish on on rates uh, in the short term, uh, and you suggested selling out of the money pay options uh, for U.S. tens. Great great call there. Uh, that would that would have paid off nicely. Uh, U.S. ten year yields are down about uh, twenty five basis points. From the March peak or April peak, whenever kind of late late March, early April, uh, last week's moves in the market, I think that were caught got a lot of people's attention. Uh, they appeared to be driven by largely by short covering. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm a fundamental macro guy, and I really didn't see any fundamental macro changes. So uh, that that's what makes the most amount of sense. But technicals were impacted as well. There, uh, Canada ten year yields uh, broke below the range they traded over the past few months. Uh, that opened up the potential for further strength, uh, but it's it's Wednesday, uh, almost five o'clock, and we, we just got the Fed. We were th- we were thrown a bit of a curveball today by the Fed. Uh, they 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 sounded a little more hawkish, I think, than the market was looking for. Clearly, if, if you look at the movement in yields today, JM, what's your market view here? How has things changed? Uh, maybe you're a little more bearish now the yields have come back, or what's your market view? And and how has the Fed or what has the Fed announcement today changed? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, for sure today was. Kind of a, as you said, curveball from the Fed. What I'm I'm getting back from that that Fed meeting is that this famous average inflation targeting framework kind of uh, got through in the garbage or something because the dots moved up two notches for 2023, while uh, inflation uh, expectation remained flat. And 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 Jay Powell and the presser didn't say anything relevant as to why the dots moved higher while inflation remained anchored. And that means to me that this average inflation targeting framework was maybe just a joke or, I mean, or maybe they don't even believe in it themselves or some, some of some of the guys. Let yeah. me stop you there for a second. Yeah. Uh, so two things. One, he did play down the dots a lot. 
He did. He, he does as, that every as, time. As we, uh, exactly. As we know. As we yeah, know he, he does. Would. So one day maybe they'll mean something, but he likes to say they don't. The other is on, on inflation. Like they pushed up their 2021 forecast a ton. So maybe from their perspective, the, the, like they have headline PCE at 3.4% this year. And they move the next two years up a, a, a bit, like a tick. So it's, it's still around 2%. But yeah. maybe the 1.4% above 2% this year, so like 34 this year, uh, and, and core PCE being a 3%, so a percentage point above where they where they targeted in the long run, maybe that's enough for them. Maybe that is sufficient to hit their kind of longer-term average. Maybe it is. For sure, there's, uh, I mean, there's, there's some pressure building on uh, in the system. And they, he, he told it quite clearly that um, uh, inflation might might not be transitory <laughs> as they love to say um, and so I, I I get it that they uh, they're open to maybe see rate moves a little bit quicker than they thought and so clearly they've opened up uh, the talk for potential talk on taper uh, maybe in July or at least at Jackson Hole and so, yeah, it, it kind of changed a bit my, my perspective on on rates. Although, what I want to say is that I, I think we are still reaching peak reflation at this point. And uh, we're, we're at peak inflation growth, will be peak growth in the economy. And those rate of growth should decelerate until the end of the year. And maybe I would even say that um, we could see negative print actually next next spring because because of the base effect versus this year, which would be kind of a the reverse of what we saw this year versus last year. And so considering we're peak peak reflation, considering everybody's still kind of short rates, considering that commodities are eh, starting to falling off. You look at copper, you look at lumber. You look at what China's trying to do. China is really trying to put the brakes here on, on commodities. Their, their National Food and Strategic Reserves announced that they, they, will, um, they will give away some metals from their stockpile, which is, uh, to me, is, is a big, big thing. And so they're, they're really trying to, um, to slow down that, that craziness in, in commodities. And the other thing is that shipment bottleneck in prices are uh, are just crazy right now. It's like shipping freight went through a parabolic rise, and you can look at this as a um, as a tax. It's another tax on the import from China, and you can be sure, absolutely certain, that China will address that fairly quickly. They'll make sure that shipments and containers and ports and boats we'll see the, the prices go down because they can't afford uh, that, that people start onshoring their, uh, their manufacturing, which is clearly the risk here. And so the, the, the point is, is clearly we had, we had a big move up to March uh, when, again, the, the, the inflation print was released. Yield kind of came back today with taper risk going higher. Clearly, the rates sold off, but I still think you can you can sell straddle and 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 um, manage to get away with the premium because I don't I don't see rates going much higher for now. Now, 
the, the trade that it that should win. And if you start talk about taper, the most dominant trade by far should be to to sell real yields. And so you you see real yield today got absolutely annihilated, right? just crushed. And clearly, this is the most correlated trade to taper. Although we we don't have a a huge sample of QE and taper, <laughs> but um, definitely that's what we saw in 2013. Uh, real yield just got hammered big time, and it, it makes sense, right? So I would say my my view moved a bit into being a bit more bearish on on real yield rather than uh, nominals. Okay, so you think though that inflation expectations come off enough that we just stay range bound? I mean, I, I think inflation expectation are are reasonably priced. That's that's my thing. And 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 if they start to talk about taper, it could actually come down. Could actually come down with commodity prices going down, and and so that's why being short nominals is probably probably not the best trade. But again, real yield, because as we as we know, the Fed bought a huge amount of real yields, huge amount of tips. So if they start to fade this buying pro- program, they're going to take it on the, on the chin. All right, Francois, what are, what, what's, uh, what's your view on the market here? Yeah, uh, I would agree with, uh, with JM a, a bit here. Um, the, maybe one difference I, I would point out, too, is the month-over-month increase in, in, in CPI that we've seen over the last few months it seems to be pretty sturdy to me. All the employment data that, that we have seen as well seems it seems very strong. Even if we were like just sub 600k in the U.S. for the last print, it's still solid gains, right? So I think we we might get something. People are are pointing towards stagflation. Maybe maybe it, it's it's we're not there yet to discuss that, but uh, I think we can get into an environment where uh, at some point the economy is just reopened. And uh, inflation continues to print, but we don't really go anywhere. So maybe we do stay range bound. I think going into Jackson Hole, we might get another another pullback. You you see the Fed today, and we're like, oh my god, like look at fives, look at but but we didn't. We're we're still way off levels we've seen in early March, right? Um, so I think uh, internationals, especially, are pretty, are going to look at the two three year part of the curve and are going to remain to be, it can continue to be buyers at these levels for the time being. All right, fair enough. Um, why don't we extend this a little bit to Canada? The Bank of Canada was was last week. Um, they were also, I think, uh, uh, at least they stayed on the hawkish side. They stayed on the upbeat side, uh, especially kind of relative to other global central banks. Uh, it looks as though tapering is well on track for the Bank of Canada uh, to do it again, taper one more time in July, uh, bring their purchases down. Uh, as much as another billion or so, uh, bringing that down to two billion, and and I mean, the bank's a little bit ahead of the Fed at this point, but uh, I think with, with today's the change in dots, it suggests maybe maybe the Fed's not as, as far behind the bank as as it seemed. Um, we we got as, as as many hot CPI prints as we have in the U.S. Uh, we've had the same, if not more, in Canada, uh, five prints in a row uh, of point five or better. So that that's. Uh, uh, stronger, a little more persistent, I guess, than what we've seen in the U.S., which has been uh, just more recent but uh, more elevated. Uh, that being said, I mean, inflation from two years ago is still just 1.6%. I think that kind of skips over that pandemic period. So uh, no real need for alarm from the Bank of Canada's perspective. But they seem to be taking uh, the growth numbers, I guess, a little bit more 
I guess at face value that like the, the and, and the outlook that uh, thing things are looking better like the, as as we all get vaccinated things rate open back up growth picks back up again uh, and 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 they want to maybe not get too far ahead of the curve but at least uh, be be in a in a good position to be raising rates uh, I think when when the economy is fully healed uh, whereas for the Fed it seemed at least until today that they would be as, as I mean as patient as as you could possibly imagine. Uh, I mean, how, how are you guys looking at uh, at Canada right now? I mean, is it just the same as the U.S., same trade and, and not much to look at? Is Canada still too aggressively priced uh, relative to the Fed? Or uh, maybe things look a little more reasonable now after you've seen kind of a, especially in the five-year sector, a notable backup in, 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 uh, in, in fives and uh, Canada outperforming uh, nicely again today. Uh, why, don't, why don't we start with Francois there and then we'll get to uh, Jam. Yeah, I, I, I favored... Uh... Being short fives in the U.S., that's a position I had for a while. Obviously, you saw the price action, the the, the short covering, and, and the rally going into today. I think the move today clearly, clearly reflects more fundamentals, but uh, you you could see that the short base was still very large out there, and uh, and, and even after last last week's data, uh, the rally was pretty shocking, despite the direction of, of fundamentals in this. I, I continue to favor. Be, being short twos fives uh, on the curve, I would I would say a, b- a bit more indifferent between Canada and the US as we as we go further out, like in tens. But um, I think structurally, you kind of stay short fives. Then, if you look at credit, I don't think rate sell off necessarily support uh, credit spreads uh, yet. As you see today, like IG is out. Uh, yields are higher, like it's it's all one way directional, pretty much the taper trade, right? So I think it'll move in the same way, and and especially in the long end. If if, if I recall right, we were our, our last uh, podcast was called "Go Go Long and Go Home," I think, right? And uh, I think we could have been more more accurate on on the on the outcome as to what longs did, right? Long in Canada, long in Provis, uh, only rallied since then. I, I wanted to buy. Um, TLT in, in, in my in my PA and never got to the level. It only rallied from then. Um, so I think that uh, that might be a trade that starts to unwind as we move into the summer months. Well, you started that comment by saying fundamentals. You talked about fundamentals and how central banks, uh, the, the Fed was kind of reminding people of fundamentals. I think that that that's pretty key at this point. Like it's it's easy to to forget where fundamentals are. Uh, I mean, I'm that that's pretty much all I do for a living. Uh, so I, I stare at those all day, uh, more, more so than most people. And, and the fundamentals are still really good. Uh, and, and and I get that kind of we've had probably peak growth rates because when you're reopening, you get a massive surge in growth, which is in no way sustainable. So it's obviously you're going to see growth uh, pull, pulling back from those super high levels. But the fundamentals are still there for for kind of rates to, to at least move higher, I think, over time. And I think that's something that can be overlooked at times. Positioning, I get it, uh, takes on a bigger role a lot of the time, and it has for the, for the past little while. But it, it, it's, I mean, don't forget the growth is still really strong. There's still plenty of fiscal stimulus coming. It's not done yet. Monetary stimulus is still super strong as well. There's, there's a lot of it. There's still tons of money being printed. So uh, growth is going to slow, but not, not a whole lot. We're still going to be historically strong. From that, from that perspective, uh, JM, what are your thoughts on Canada uh, right now? As you know, I I, I recommended uh, not long ago, maybe two weeks ago, to uh, to receive the four year point in Canada, as, as which was a similar trade to uh, to selling straddle, if you want, because I I thought 
if range kind of remain range, range bound, uh, the, the four-year swap, which uh, Roland carried about 11 beeps for, per quarter, was actually a decent bet. And just turn that kind of a premium, if you want, by um, you know being long and 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 make it roll down the curve. Uh, I I do still think the same. Uh, for, for, like with, with today's move, the trade is back to where it was when I when I recommended it. So it's it's basically back to flat. So we'll see the next few days or week if uh, if I was wrong on it or not. I do, I do agree that there are more risk to it after this Fed meeting for sure. But I'd say, I, I, I'd say first of all, I'm, I'm kind of a bit surprised that that Canada actually almost moved one to one with U.S. fives, and uh, at some point was even underperforming in two years versus the U.S. after the, the Fed. So I, I thought you know U, U.S. should clearly underperform in that part of the curve. Which, uh, as we speak, is Canada is about outperforming two beeps, two and a half beep, maybe. So it's not it's no big deal. So I'm a bit surprised by how far we went in fives. Looking at at the, um, the other recommendation I made recently was uh, in FX to buy uh, to buy USD CAD. So being um, being uh, short Canadian dollar versus long US, that trade did actually really well today. And I think it might be a way to play actually not market where USD CAD clearly sold off way too fast. And I think USD, if, if, if the Fed is starting to talk about tapering and raising rates, and if, if again, if, if commodities are fairly priced and maybe look to the downside, USD CAD is a really nice pair to own where, um, USD should do well, and and CAD should actually underperform a bit because of the exposure to commodities. I, I would say that Canada was wasn't and and still is kind of fairly priced in my mind. So I'm not recommending a bit um, to you know to be to be really outright long duration, except for that four year part because of the roll down, but. I don't see like a big mispricing right now in in Canada in my mind. My, the the mispricing was in the U.S. in the U.S. front end, and uh, we're we're kind of dialing back a bit on it today. Yeah, totally agreed. I think that the, the U.S. was where things looked off, I guess, and Canada's probably where things close to. I mean, more or less should be. Uh, good good point on the dollar. Uh, I mean, it, it got absolutely annihilated today, uh, and if anything, that actually makes the uh, Makes the Bank of Canada a little more likely to uh, to continue their tapering in July, just because if the currency is not a concern for them, then why not? Uh, all systems go uh, for them to continue on their their current path, and uh, especially if the Fed's in line, all all, all the more reason uh, for them to, uh, to to continue just slowly but surely uh, taking the uh, the stimulus off the table. Yes, and and I I did add if you. Uh... If I can, that uh, although I'm I'm a bit more bearish on commodities, I still think uh, uh, oil should do relatively well. It should hold up pretty well. I don't see oil really coming back uh, with with the current fundamentals, so that that should help uh, Canada and and the Bank of Canada in their uh, plan. 
Yeah. Definitely. Well, I, I got a question for you. You talked about uh, China and, and, and metals and, and them releasing some uh, some of their stores. I mean, but isn't that just a short term pressure valve? Like, a, it doesn't change any of the demand dynamics. I guess it, what what happens is if the increase in demand really is temporary and you're just getting a quick surge and you're satisfying that demand with the with with uh, some some inventory, then great. But it doesn't solve any long term issues. Like, if 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 demand stays strong, it doesn't change the supply picture. From a longer term perspective, so 100% agree. We we had multiple converse, conversation off of of this call, and um, it's it's where we kind of I I wouldn't say we disagree, but it's all about the question of is is inflation transitory or structural, and in uh, my mind, we've righted up this trade pretty well it's been a successful trade up to again the march print and cpi and at this point we're kind of reasonably well priced and it's i just don't see all you can figure out in the next few months whether inflation will be transitory or not i i think we'll have this information probably later in the year or beginning of 2022 um, I'd say in the U.S., we definitely have to wait for um, you know, the fer- federal uh, support for uh, unemployment benefits to come com- to come off, which which should happen in September. Actually, I think even some states are uh, pulling it off in June and July. So we should see state by state some um, w- the the impact on an, on employment, which should, should which should act- actually increase a lot of of uh, the payroll. Non-farm payroll should should go in the sky when. As you know, the, the benefits will, will come down. But at this point, it, it's kind of reasonably well-priced with the information we have. I think we, we can come off a bit from you know, those highs. But I, I, I agree with you. Uh, it might be that we are in a new structural environment and that prices fees on itself, as you know, we know that. So, uh, so- I, I don't know. I don't know if I go there. I'm, I'm not. So as much as I think there's going to be a little bit more inflation, I'm not convinced it's going to be uh, that persistent at the end of the day. What, what I point out is that like we had super low inflation for 10 years and, and maybe that was the abnormal. Maybe that was the point. Like you we're getting over a financial crisis. Uh, you still had integration of, from China into the global economy. You still had a lot of pressures and aging the demographics impact things as well. And that that one hasn't gone away at all. But globalization has slowed. Uh, we're, the financial crisis impact is gone uh, over, uh, and 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 we have ten-year yields at the bottom of the range in the U.S. for where they were in the prior decade. So, like we're at the bottom for we're the 2012, 2016, 2019. We're at the bottom of that range right now. Uh, if you're going to have kind of call it more normal-ish inflation, so just not not persistently sub two percent, but I'd say somewhere in like a little bit below two to even arguably up to like high twos or even 3%. And that, that ends up being the range. I, that, that That's kind of more how I view things and why I, I just uh, still longer term, near term, I think it's tough because the summer tends to be tough, but uh, uh, longer term, I, I just don't see how rates don't at least drift higher over the next few years. If I can step in, Ben, to, to me, it becomes more of a society's problem. Like if you just think about what the pandemic has done to the uh, gap in between uh, different classes in society and who's been def- affected the most and and the the wealth gap that has been just increasing and increasing over the last decade in the, in the in the US and in Canada 
if inflation picks up and we maintain a higher sustainable level of inflation, I think it's just going to increase that gap, right? And we say inflation has been low, but it's been skewed towards real estate, financial assets, which are all held by wealthier people, uh, higher classes of society. So it just helps increase that gap. And uh, I am not sure the central banks nor the government will want to keep pushing the, down that path. They, they need to deal with debt, though. So inflation, inflation does whittle away your debt burden when you have trillions and trillions in, uh, in, in government debt. Uh, and, and on that note, why don't, why don't we discuss the provincial bond market a little bit? The provinces still need to issue uh, pretty sizable amounts of debt, uh, not quite at the pace and the size we had last year, uh, because things are better. And as the economy recovers, revenues recover, uh, they don't quite have the same expenses, at least not COVID-related, that they did last year. Uh, and so that that helps the fiscal balance as well. So things are, are definitely moving in the right direction, but issuance is still pretty high. The Bank of Canada has now stepped out of the way. How is the provincial market behaving at the moment? Uh, was there any impact on the Fed today? Uh, and, and and where do you see things going forward, Francois? Yeah, funny enough, the market's behaving so far this year as I thought it would have behaved early on in, in last April. What I mean by that is that benchmarks are really cheapening up on the curve. And you see that, um, that new issue deals are harder to, to bring. Uh, you look at, uh, for example, Ontario... 31, 30 bucks. It has steepened. You now get a credit pick as opposed to before in the market, you would actually either be flat credit or give credit to move into the more liquid uh, benchmark. And you see the same thing further out the curve. You look at Ontario 5150 rule that has steepened now roughly positive a half. Same thing in Quebec. So kind of a trend where we're seeing backdates outperform the, the new issue bonds because they need to be tapped so often. Um, now, that being said, it, it surprises me a bit in the long end that it's happening now because there was no PBPP last, last year. Uh, there was nothing market or sector specific happening. Yes, we had seen lots of selling of backdated longs uh, in April and throughout the year, but it really reverted and erased back quickly. And now we're actually seeing all the backdates perform, uh, which they have a lot. Uh, but then that brought some real money extending out the curve um, to match that in, in the recent uh, in the recent weeks. So I'd say that's a that's a big factor. You say the PBPP has ended, but you just look at at, at five year provies and they're as rich as they've ever been uh, versus Canada's versus CMB. That to me is kind of a trade out there, and, and we, we've seen some accounts do it. But um, the, the credit value in the five year sector for Provi is very little. Some bonds even trade flat to CMBs. And if you just extend and go out into tens with the asset swap curve that's inverted, the credit curve that is steep, uh, you really get a nice pickup. It's a, it's a straight line up as I've, uh, I've seen it in, in the provincial space. So I think the five year sector is very, very rich, but it's there because there's been so much liquidity, so much cash in this market. However, you kind of have to protect for for worse days and improve your credit when you can at these uh, at these spots, right? For, further out the curve, I, I'd say what, what it's done, it's the long end is really, really offered. We've said a few times this year that we uh, we established new ranges in the Ontario 1030 credit box, but recently it just keeps pushing steeper and steeper. June 2 coupon payment brought a bid to it. Uh, we went 
just uh, north of 16, but we're quickly right back to 19 and a half, 20. We've seen some people cover some shorts. We, we've seen some fast money, take some stabs at it and put on flatteners, but it just keeps pushing steeper. And, and just after today and, and the move flatter in, in uh, 10s, 30s post-Fed, we steepen back another beep uh, steeper uh, on that box. So you just look at it. in in May, we had almost 3% yield in, in, in long Ontarios. We're well below that now, sitting inside of two and three quarters, right? So not as appealing, especially if you have the outlook of, uh, of higher sustained inflation in, in your mind. Okay, cool. JM, what are your clients telling you about the uh, provincial market at the moment? Um, <laughs> difficult to add after uh, after Francois. Uh, very, I, I mean, I, I agree with, with with everything you said for sure. As for the tens box curve, I I was in the same camp as him, thinking that the range uh, has gone. It actually went wider and wider with time. From if you look at the past 10, 12 years, it was in a kind of five to ten beat range. And then it's, it's now in the 15, 16 to 20 beat range. I, I love to play it from the short side when we get too flat uh, and take, I think, profit when it gets uh, back to the wide. So uh, for, for people that, that were um, short a long end, I definitely think it's a, it's a nice entry point to cover some up. I don't know if you, you get long right now. I Tough to say at this point. The other team I would add, uh, Francois, is uh, is is Ontario versus the other peripherals. I hope you were going to touch that. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was definitely dead wrong at the beginning of the year. I, I thought with the end of the PPVP, uh, peripheral would widen a bit. So I thought I thought this program was kind of implying support for the peripherals. Um, and I, I was definitely wrong. So, so, so peripherals continue to outperform basically because Ontario keeps issuing and issuing more. And at this point, it's, it's quite interesting to figure out, okay, what, what, what do you do with your BCs in Alberta and Manny and what have you? Like, um, Alberta is, is right around 10 beeps and longs now with 22 beeps a few months ago. Um, and as you know, past, um, 2014 oil crash, the range was kind of minus five to, uh, plus 35 ish or so, I think in long Francois or close to, I think. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So at 10 beeps, we're definitely going back to do, uh, the low end of the range. BC, BCs right now are minus seven, minus seven and a half. The range was zero to minus let's say 16 over the past 20 years so middle of the range there the, the big question is with with rates still low do you uh continue to add on your bc do you continue to add on your you know any other per- peripherals i the, the trend seems to be your friend right now and again ontario is is definitely issuing a lot of paper so there, there's, and, and we see it with Quebec. Quebec is actually making new um, tight levels at minus four half. Uh, it's never, never been there. And, and so this is completely new, new uh, territory for, uh, for Quebec. And uh, so I think that's, that's a big team right now. I, I would tend to think that 
there there's still there's still momentum in there and if if risk asset continue to do, to do well we should see peripherals continue to outperform since we're not at the tight end of the range historically exactly good point uh, and i think i was wrong too on the last call uh, when we discussed the end of pbpp we thought it, would, it was uh, very supportive for for peripherals and but in the, in the front end but the bid for peripheral has been across the curve Initially, I think it was really more of a carry trade in a low vol, tight spread environment where doesn't seem to be much risk of, of spreads blowing off. So that really performed well. Here, what I like, I think all the names that are trading way through Ontario, like it's a harder carry trade. Um, people won't necessarily like fast money, won't put it on necessarily uh, for a quick play because it's expensive and it, it tends to not work that fast. It mostly works over time. Um, but I still like Alberta here. I think that's one of the plays I, I really like. With oil back above 70 bucks, um, and as uh, Jam mentioned, Ontario keeps issuing paper. Alberta has much less funding needs, and, uh, and we're still off levels where we've been pre-pandemic. So I think Alberta definitely has, uh, has room to perform and outperform from here just on the fact of, uh, of issuance pattern that, that's left there remaining in the year. Hey, probably BC too, uh, I would say. Uh, cheap towards the minus seven in, in, uh, in the long end. But, uh, but as I said, it's, it's a negative character. So people don't tend to go overweight BC uh, too often. I, I, I'll, I'm going to take a little bit of the other side there and just, and probably not near term. Cause I agree with both you guys. The, the trend is your friend and as long as risk does well, it's, it's hard to say otherwise, but uh, the, if you just look at the fundamentals, like the, the bar for Ontario to, to outperform is pretty darn low. I mean, they, they've set themselves up a, a pretty easy uh, hurdle. Uh, so, and you, you should like the, the strong U S economy, all, all those, there's a lot of fundamentals that that suggest that Ontario should do, a lot better going forward. I guess we'll see uh, what the government wants to do with all the money that comes in. That, that's probably a, a bigger question as any. Uh, but I, I, I think near term, I would agree with you guys. But if you, as we work through the year, if, if this continues, and, and I don't think all that much further necessarily, I think that uh, it will be time to go the other way. Uh, and, and just the, the fiscal differential won't be quite as big as what's being reflected in spreads. And and uh, might be time to, to, to look at Ontario a little bit closer uh, from a long perspective. Well, I, I agree with you, uh, Ben, actually. That's uh, what I, yeah. And the, the point is, as, as Francois said, a lot of peripherals are now going through Ontario. So you're, you're losing carry. Um, as you said, economy in the hurdle to, for Ontario to perform is, is much lower. And so I do think actually that reversing this trade and selling peripherals going back to in Ontario could be at some point one of the bigger trade in the old uh, provincial space. You could do more alpha by trading those paper around than uh, direction-wise for the whole Provi industry, Provi market. So um, I agree with you. At some point, you need to reverse that trade and, and take profit and just go much longer Ontario. I'll bring you guys on when that when that time comes. How about that? All right. Uh, it's, it's it's we're we're a little bit long here, so why don't, why don't we wrap up? Uh, what do you favorite trade one each? What do you got? So I, I'd say uh, short real yields, probably more in the U.S. because it's it's more liquid. Um, I still I still like USD CAD uh, reversal here to the 
maybe 124, 125 kind of thing. Risk wise, I'm I'm pretty neutral. And again, as you as you know, uh, uh, rates nom- nominal rates, I am neutral. So yeah, I would I would put those two uh, two trades uh, right now. Yeah, I'll keep it around something I mentioned a bit earlier, but uh, uh, selling any provies in the four to five year sector to extend that's into uh, something that trades off, let's say, 27s, 28s, 29s, steep credit curve, very steep asset swap curve, and all those Canada bonds uh, are very rich. You have a fives, tens uh, segment that's very flat. If you, if you just use SEP 26s instead of current fives, it, you notice how much flatter the curve actually is, and then Government of Canada is going to keep introducing new bonds, uh, March 27th, for example, and it's just going to make those June series in between fives and tens very expensive. So I think you want to own provies that uh, that trade off that. So be long provies like Ontario 27s and spread that should perform well if you if you're short the underlying uh, Ontario June 20s or Canada June 27s against that. So any type of extension you can shape it that way, but selling the the rich four to five year that's been squeezed out and doesn't have any juice left and uh, and move uh, further out the curve. All right, cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I uh, appreciate you joining me again. And uh, when you tell me that the pro V sector is, is, is going to turn and that the peripherals are going to turn, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on. Uh, have a good night, guys. You do it. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. 
Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.